And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I am your host for today. I am going to be joined in just a moment by Pablo Mara and Sam Stachko from The Athletic. They are here to discuss one of their two wonderful pieces. Uh, the second one I have now read. When we recorded this interview, I had not yet had the time to read their Chivas USA piece. I have since. It's amazing. Uh, so, too, is their article about MLS owners and their financial contributions to political campaigns. I struggled to say the name of the article, I think, three different times in this interview. But it's Disconnect as MLS Teams Back Social Causes. Owners' Money Often Fights Them. Uh, it is a great piece if you haven't had a chance to read it. Uh, if you don't feel like reading it, you can hear Pablo and Sam give you their sort of distillation of what it is in this episode. And we talk about the kind of research went into it, how awkward it could be asking some of these questions, as well as sort of what the line is between what an owner does and what the team does and how you sort of marry those two things when they stand at odds. Uh, I really enjoyed this. There's also some goofiness in there because it's Pablo and Sam. That's inevitable. Uh, but the reason why I'm giving you this preamble as opposed to just getting right to them is because I also wanted to give everybody sort of an update about the schedule for the week. Uh, I am feeling slightly worn down. It's been obviously an emotional time uh, at the Total Soccer Show and for me personally. So my plan is to put out the Allocation Disorder episode that was supposed to drop last Friday. I'm going to put that out tomorrow. Uh, I think it is fairly evergreen. There may be some stuff that's a little bit dated, but I think Paul is discussing a topic uh, that he was writing about that I believe was published today. So hopefully still some relevance there. Uh, then there will be two more episodes of Soccer 101 this week, one uh, done by myself, one by Joe Lowry. And I would add, if you have not yet heard the Soccer 101 episode that Joe did about El Clasico, please go over, check Soccer 101, find it wherever you get your podcast if you don't already subscribe and listen to that one, because Joe, on very little notice, was able to put out an episode that would have taken me probably a week to write and prepare and research, and instead he succinctly explained the importance of El Clasico in about 13 minutes. Not bad, Joe. So he'll be putting out another one this week. So too will I. And then there will be at least one more episode of Total Soccer Show this week uh, on Friday. The Cooligans, our friends, your friends will be here. Uh, we're going to talk maybe some Champions League about doing comedy in the COVID era, many other topics. We will probably also spend some time reminiscing about Daryl uh, and some of their favorite memories because they've got many. They spent a lot of time with him. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to recording with them. But for now, I will stop preambling and instead turn it over to past me talking to Pablo and Sam. Joining me now from The Athletic, we have Pablo Mara and Sam Stachko. I'm going to introduce you all in order. Pablo, thank you very much for being here today. Well, it's nice to be back. And Sam, you are also here. 
I sure am. <laughs> Pablo, Pablo gets the nice one. Sam gets the Sam one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciating both of you all being here. We're going to talk a little bit about the article that you all uh, co-wrote uh, and put out for The Athletic. Disconnect on MLS teams. Uh, so, As MLS teams, social causes, owners, money often fights against them. I think I butchered that entire title. Uh, I apologize for that. I want to talk about that article. Uh, but first, obviously, uh, Daryl Grove, my, my co-host, Pat passed away uh, last week. And I know both of you had um, various dealings and interactions and friendships with him. Uh, so I wanted to give you all both a moment uh, to talk about Daryl, if you so choose. Pablo, you want to go? You want me to go? I can go, I guess, since I'm already going. Um, I didn't know Daryl as well as probably some of the people who have been on this show or who have you know, written or spoken um, kind of moving tributes. But every interaction I ever had with him, it was it was so genuine. Um, he was such like, I think Alexis, Alexis from the Cooligans put it really well on Twitter where, where kind of, he said that Daryl's default was, was just like kindness and goodness and like realness. And that's every interaction I ever had with him. He was just like a super, super nice guy, super caring, um, made you feel like he was really interested in whatever it was you were talking about at all times. And, uh, Never, ever came across as phony, which I think a lot of people who kind of give off those other qualities mm -hmm. that I was talking about um, can often come across as a little bit, is this real? Is it not? With Daryl, you never question that. And um, I think we could all strive to be a little bit more like that. I know I could. Uh, so I always really appreciated that about Daryl. That's... That that's really nice of you, Sam. I, I, also, I'm, I guess I'm speaking on his behalf. I don't mean to, but I know that he thought... Very, very uh, highly of you. And I think when we first met you in Atlanta, I think he was, he was sort of like, Oh, ooh, there's Sam Stasekel. Like he always had that sort of like, Oh, there's a person. Like he was really excited. And I will be, I promise I'm not just saying this, but that was also the case with Pablo. I know he followed Pablo for a really long time and was like, uh, cause there, are, as has been the case so many times when I'm thinking about uh, like having a guest on the show or talking about uh, Daryl with a person, I'm realizing that my introduction to that person was via Daryl. And that's the case with Pablo is I remember him like sending me Pablo's photo shoots and some things you'd written and just being like, oh, wow, this guy's really cool. And I know he had the exact same feeling about you, Pablo. Yeah, I think um, Sam said it perfectly. I guess what I'd add is, I, you know, I, I met Daryl. Um, personally, obviously, I've been on the show a few times. And um, I think really my main takeaway was like, uh, this is a business where, you know, journalists kind of love to talk. And there's, I think there's very few of us who, um, who have, you know, who, who are like immune to criticism, or sort of smack talking from colleagues. I mean, I think all of us have probably been bad mouthed in one way or another. I have. <laughs> I have literally never heard one bad thing about Daryl. Um, he's one of like, honestly, two or three people out of dozens, maybe hundreds in this line of work that is just completely beloved. And um, my interactions with him always back that up. Uh, you know, like Sam said, he just always seemed kind and genuine and interested Um and you know, I, I I don't know. It's 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 obviously a shame to see him go, but um, but like I said, I I can't find one. Not that I'm actively looking. <laughs> I can't find one <laughs> one person who has one bad thing to say about him. It's 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 beautiful, honestly. 
Is that your new, like, the two of you, are you co-writing your new expose for The Athletic about trying to find bad things to say about Daryl Grove? Is <laughs> that what I'm hearing, Pablo? Yeah, I'm going to get fired for writing the Daryl Grove takedown. <laughs> Let's do it. Why not? Well, as I said, I know he thought incredibly highly of both of you and I think would uh, enjoy the topic we're discussing today, which is your article. I think it's one that he would have read as soon as it came out and wanted to talk about at length. So we're going to do that now. I'm going to try it one more time. Disconnect as MLS teams back social causes. Owners money often fights them. There we go. All right. Read the whole Good thing. Reading. Good um, reading. Thank Good you, reading. fellas. Um, I wanted to start off by just kind of giving you all the opportunity to talk a little bit about how the article came to be and about sort of like some of the, the takeaways from it. But first, I have a structural question to begin with. My journalism background is not quite as extensive as either of yours. I'm always curious when you have two authors in a story like this, uh, how how does that work? What is the structure there? Because I picture pre-COVID times, Sam like hunched over the laptop typing with Pablo like leaning over his shoulder, correcting words and things like that. That's what the movies tell me happens. I'm guessing that's not exactly. Pablo actually what holds here. the wrench menacingly when he's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm more of a, an, an intimidator. You know? <laughs> yeah, but so how, how does that work when you all are sort of writing something like this that requires a lot of research and effort? Well. Pablo, you, I mean, you, you led off this process. So why don't you lead off the answer? I, I feel like this is often how it works. This is an idea that I've had for like six months. Um, many of my story ideas become like running jokes in editorial meetings because they, they, you know, never get written or take so long to write. Um, story about Chivas USA, Sam and I just published yesterday was another one of those, but this was one of those things where I saw the election creeping up and I thought to myself, man, this is going to be such a huge data lift and everything's going to be need to be, you know, fact checked two or three times that um, definitely would be helpful to work with someone on this. And Sam, out of anybody on staff, um, felt like definitely the best fit. Uh, we've worked together before and um, I don't know, Sam, like how does it work generally? Um, I mean, generally when it's a co-byline, it's usually like a news piece. And so like, that's like, you know, sources say, and a lot of times, like, I think whoever's on that byline could finish the story themselves and get multiple sources themselves, but it works a lot faster when you can team up on things for a piece like this. It's obviously not like that. Um, you know, I think, what was it? We saw a ringer piece, Pablo, and that just sort of like kicked us into gear. The, mm -hmm. the ringer did a piece like this on NBA owners. Um, and yeah, this one, it was just like, we knew that there was going to be a lot of sifting through the FEC, the federal election commission website. <laughs> and we knew that it would be easier to do two people instead of one. Um, the actual writing process for this one, you know, I don't think it was super complicated or anything like, you know, obviously you write, you write your lead, you write the beginning of the story and you want to make that a little bit, um, grabby, right. You want to pull people in with that, but the rest of it is pretty you know, this one was pretty dry, right? Pretty nuts and bolts data um, for the most part. So, um, you know, it's not like we're really injecting a lot of our own personal voice into a piece like this. Yeah. Um, so that made that that part of the process pretty straightforward, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the actual writing, like if we want to go really deep into it, like we have Google Docs, right? And we can both see what the other one's doing. And Pablo and I have written together enough, I think, that we know kind of how the other person writes. And I'm comfortable with how he does it. And I think he's comfortable with how I do it. So 
um, you know, we trust each other on that front and then lots of going back and, and checking the others and our own work uh, and making sure everything's buttoned up and ready to go before it goes and gets published. How much more cautious do you get when you know the other person is actively in the Google Doc? Because when, when Daryl and I were compiling show notes when I do the weekend review with Ryan, if I know he's in there, I'm sort of like, oh, that's a typo. Oh, that's another typo. Like, like do you have that level? Like, are you both contributing at the same time? Uh, or is it sort of like one person works on it, then the next person comes in and, and adds their piece and tightens it up a little bit? Um, I, I think frequently we're both writing at the same time. Um you know, I think there are in any story like this, there are parts of a story that both of us report, and it's very easy for us to both write those parts separately and then kind of blend them together. So, um, you know, especially if a piece is co-written and it's breaking news, absolutely. Um, sometimes there's there's instances where the entire piece gets written in you know ten minutes because both people are are hammering away. Um, and like I think. Generally, too, when the editing process comes along, I've always just like I told Sam generally with both the pieces we just did, hey, man, just just clean it up however you want and we'll go from there. You know, so I think there's like an element of trust involved there, too. Um, but yeah, I, I generally enjoy it. Um, I do love writing alone, but on, on a piece like this, both the pieces we just did, I, I think it was pretty essential to to co-write them. So with the piece itself, I did want to ask if you all could give a sort of quick summary of the article for people ha who haven't been able to read it. Uh, what were sort of the, the major takeaways? What were some of the more interesting pieces for you all personally? Sure. So the whole conceit behind the piece was basically a lot of MLS teams, pretty much all of them, um, have come out since George Floyd was killed in May uh, and issued statements or started initiatives or programs or donated money. Um, to sort of support equality or to support Black Lives Matter or to support, you know, justice in general. Um, and so we kind of wanted to explore how the political donations of the owners of said teams matched up with those statements or those programs or those initiatives. Um, and, you know, I think for the most part, it was a little bit more of a right-leaning um, group which wasn't exactly a surprise. These are many billionaires and, and many hundred millionaires when you're talking about MLS owners. Uh, so, you know, I think typically those tend to be a little bit more Republican than Democrat. And that's generally how it shook out. The split wasn't huge overall when you're talking about controlling versus non-controlling owners or when you're talking, including all of them, but when you're just talking about majority owners, so the people you think of, right? The, Bob Crafts and uh, Adrian Hanauer, Merritt Paulson, the people you think of when you think of MLS owners, those people were overwhelmingly um, gave to Republican candidates and PACs and causes. Um, and some of those, you know, the disconnect was striking, right? Um, a few of those examples in terms of what teams were saying or doing and then which candidates the owners were giving to sometimes the same week, of some of these statements or videos or programs um, being announced um, was kind of remarkable. Uh, so those were some of the main takeaways for me and, you know, Pablo, and hopefully I left you some room there to, to give some of yours too. No, I mean, I, I'd, I'd sort of mirror Sam. Um, I was, you know, I think for me, the really interesting uh, part of the piece was when we started to get into sort of exploring why uh, these owners make these donations. Um, 
you know, why the teams that they run uh, sort of espouse these beliefs that run counter to them. Um, some of those reasons are obvious. Some of those are a little more uh, subtle, but that, that was what I was most interested in. Um, I was, I think, you know, we talked about this before the show. I was uh, a little surprised generally at, at how many uh, sort of problem areas there were donation wise. But, um, you know, then I think by the time I'd written the piece, I felt stupid for having had that assumption in the first place. Uh <laughs> So, so no, it was, was an enjoyable one to report. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Uh, you mentioned the NBA article that sort of inspired you all. How do you feel like the owners in the NBA compare to owners in Major League Soccer? Is is there sort of a lot of similarity there? Not in terms of like their like financial background, but just in terms of how they're donating. Yeah, it was mostly similar. Uh, I think Steve Ballmer had like a huge like if um, I can't remember exactly, but I want to say him or his wife donated like seven million dollars. Uh, to Biden or or some Democrat um, recently, which sort of skewed the data a little bit um, in that one. Um, but it was mostly similar in terms of most of the controlling owners leaning more towards the right than towards the left. And I mean, I think I think with MLS even too, you had you know if you for example threw out a couple outliers, which we didn't do, but for example with FC Cincinnati on paper they are a left-leaning club um, when in reality the only reason that's true is because Meg Whitman um, 
who was a, at one point the Republican candidate for governor in California, um, sort of uh, flipped this past election cycle and endorsed Biden and gave him five hundred thousand dollars, which was you know among the largest single donations. So you do also have those sort of outlier data points in, in MLS too. Uh, like how many teams in Major League Soccer like is the owner? in y'all's experience or in y'all's knowledge, like is the owner really involved in day-to-day operations? Because I'm assuming there are teams that are more like the owner's very hands-on. Every decision has to be approved by the owner. Maybe not every decision, but many decisions versus I'm I'm assuming there are teams where the owner's a bit more hands-off. And I guess I'm just wondering how much the involvement of the owner factors into like how much the political contribution is an issue, if that makes sense. Hmm. That's interesting. That second part of the question in terms of how many owners are like directly involved. Um, man, I don't know. Like that's hard to say off the top of my head, but I would say probably if I'm guessing probably like 40% are like, like pretty involved. Maybe another like 20% are like kind of involved and then maybe 30 to 40% like varying degrees of uninvolvement i don't know pablo does that sound right to you for sure i was gonna say you should do yeah. it in like three tiers so yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> all right perfect we're on the same page um but then in terms of like you know how an owner's personal political predilections kind of affect mm-hmm. what the club does i think what we found in the reporting of the story and talking to some experts from different organizations was basically like not at all they're just doing what's best for the business um and you know a lot of a lot of these cases right an owner an owner maybe is like politically more agnostic but that owner is going to give thousands of dollars to say Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell enacts policies that are good for that owner's industry um and in the same way right MLS fans typically lean more towards the left um MLS players are out there like being real activists in these things. And so for the business, it's better for the MLS team to say they stand with justice and equality and, and racism and all of that stuff. So to me, I think it's just, you know, most of, taking a pretty cynical view of it. It's just like these people, maybe some of them are donating because of their own personal beliefs or ideals, and maybe they line up perfectly. I think certainly some of them are. Um, but I think probably most of them are just doing this straight up for their pocketbook. Um, and, and that's both on the political donation side and on the MLS side. And I don't know that that's kind of crappy in my opinion, but hey, yeah, I, mean, teach I, their own. I think like a one statistic that stood out to me, um, I, I think, you know, like what Sam just said, um, that MLS fans by and large are left leaning. I've always thought that to be anecdotally true, but I had sort of thought, well, there has to be some statistical data on it. And it's true. Uh, you know, in this country, there have been studies done that show that it's like 30 some odd percent of soccer consumers in the U S are, uh, millennials. And the next largest group is Gen Z. And, you know, both those groups skew greatly, greatly to the left. So it is like Sam said, I think the bulk of these owners are just single issue voters. They can afford to sort of look the other way, on some of the social causes when they, when it comes to donating money, because they're, you know, they're the single issue might be, you know, capital gains tax or public stadium policy, that sort of stuff. Um, 
but then obviously it would be like it would be marketing suicide to to you know then espouse those same beliefs obviously if the bulk of your fans are left leaning you know you're going to position your business accordingly um it's to me it's just a you know that's not to say there's no overlap that's not to say that there aren't owners um whose views line up with the ones that their club puts out there um but it's just to say that even for those owners i think it's like a convenient business decision <laughs> so yeah. you know how how much does it like how how many that you all came across were sort of i think like this was the case for maybe cincinnati and maybe for austin that like they're giving to their local representative or not their local representative but their house of representatives person who happens to be a very conservative person but they're representing the area where like nippert stadium is so we kind of have to make this charitable contribution or this political donation like I, I kept wondering that as I was reading the article of how much of it was sort of linked to, well, we kind of have to do this because that's how America works. I think that there was a decent amount of that. Austin definitely was one of those. I think Cincinnati was one. But again, going back to what Pablo just said, I think there's probably some overlap there, you know, mm -hmm. without getting too reckless. We we can't judge the intent really of yeah. any of this. We're not inside these people's brains. Um, but I would expect that I, I think Kansas, Kansas City was another where they had a, a number of donations to the local congresswoman, I believe, in that case, if I can't if I'm remembering right. Um so yeah, I think a lot of these folks give to their local representative, regardless. Yeah, I, mean, I think of you could, you know, even though we can't get in their heads, if to use Sam's example of Austin, if you look at Anthony Precourt, he did have uh, a, a really, I, I hate to keep using the word problematic, but problematic donation. A donation that I want to say Michael McCall. Yeah. Um, but he also donated to you know four or five. Democratic candidates and McCall, like you just said, happens to be the person who represents the district that Austin's new stadium resides in. So I do think there's an element of, of you know, um, uh, uh, just sort of like it's it's the way it works. I mean, if Michael McCall, you know, if if Anthony Precourt needs something and Michael McCall just asks a staffer to say, "Hey, has this person ever given to our campaign?" Um, I mean, it's dumb that politics works that way. I guess, yeah. but I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. Yep. Yeah, that, I think that's what I sort of like. One of the my like personal takeaways from you from y'all's article that was like I guess sort of negative. Not saying you all made me feel negative, but it was just a sort of reminder of like, yeah, that's how it works. Like they're not necessarily gonna back a candidate to challenge that person. They're just gonna give to the person. That's me editorializing a bit. But I think what I'm like coming away from is that when we like when uh, the George Floyd protests happen, when Black Lives Matter like gets more attention and then gets more negative attention in the media, I think like we had people on the show. We had uh, Jeremy uh, Abubasi on, and he was sort of like like saying like we've been here before. Like, I, and I like, and I in that moment was like, oh, this this has to be different. Things are going to change. And I think like reading your article almost made me feel a little bit naive because it seems like some of these statements are coming out while these, like I, I envision, I know this isn't really what happened, but like part of me envisions like, yeah, yeah, we'll authorize this. Like, yeah, write that tweet. And then simultaneously like writing a check to Mitch McConnell. I know that's not that extreme, but I am wondering if for you, for you all, this research like, like cheapens some of those messages a little bit. I think it does for sure. Right. I think in some cases it's a case of an owner trying to have it both ways. Right. And Pablo, I think you got a quote from, 
someone, um, I think a stakeholder within MLS basically saying like, if these owners could choose to keep their political contributions private, they would. Right. Um, that's not the way our government is set up. You can go look up their contributions. You can go look up our contributions or anyone else's contributions online. It's very easy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a case of them putting one public face forward, right? And and that's progressive and equal rights and all of those things. And then, you know, right, right behind the curtain, all you got to do is peek around it just a little bit, um, donating to candidates who kind of uphold the systems um, that prevent that in many cases. Um, so I don't know. To me, you can't really have it both ways. Um, and I think it's kind of cheap to try and do so. Um, but that's what a lot of these guys uh, end up doing. So there you have yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Sam. It definitely it, it matters and it changed my mind a little bit about some of these guys. But I'll also say that it's, it's it can be tough just as a, you know, let's like fan out from sports a little bit. It can be, just be tough as a consumer in this country generally to, you know, the piece that Sam and I just did about MLS owners could could be done not just about sports owners. It could be done about any major corporation in the United States. I mean, um, you know, it's it, it gets so convoluted and complicated. Um, anybody with a significant amount of money is going to probably donate to some of these candidates, you know. So I think um, I was joking with Meg Linehan, our, our colleague. I was joking with her the other day. I said, oh, well, the solution to all this is as simple as just doing away with late stage capitalism. <laughs> which is i guess a different piece that could be written but it's like it's just you know like that's exactly what the athletic covers now so <laughs> exactly yeah um but, but yeah i mean it's it, it definitely changed my view of some of these guys for some for the better some for the worse um you know, but. Pablo, what, what's the response like when when you're calling these organizations, when you're calling these teams or these front offices? It seemed like you all got a few people who would speak on background, not so many people on the record. I am just again envisioning you all calling and people just being like, "Ugh, I don't want to talk about this." Like, like what was the sort of vibe when you all were making your calls? Yeah, I mean, it, it varied. I can tell you that there was cert- probably a certain level of panic involved. Uh, with many people that we talked to, um, you know, I just, to me, uh, for example, I, I worked with Nashville, um, because they, they were in the lead of the piece. Obviously John Ingram gave to a couple candidates, um, with some seriously messed up views. Um, and I think probably most of the teams did what, what Ingram's PR people did, which was say, well, look, he's also given, you know, and it's true. He's given, and that's that's the crazy thing about this is a lot of these candidates have given, you know, in Ingram's case, twenty thousand dollars to Marsha Blackburn, who is just like, just the like comically ignorant human being. Um, and then you know he turned around and gave two million dollars within two years to you know one organization was an immigrant rights coalition in Nashville. Uh, he gave an organization to a charity in North Nashville that deals with underserved um, residents there. A lot of good work. You know, so, so really my job, the way I saw it was just to present all the facts. So, I mean, I, I tell their PR people that, look, that's all worth including the piece, but you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, but it doesn't, it still doesn't justify the other donation. That's just my opinion. And that wasn't expressed in the piece, but it's just sort of like, well, it's great that you do all these good things, but you know, like nobody's still, nobody's requiring you to give $20,000 to somebody who literally tried to get gay people removed from a hate crime bill, 
you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Sam, what's, what's your input here? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things first, totally agree with kind of how you described the, the conversations with clubs. Um, some were, I would say not surprised once, once they heard the story idea that we were calling them. Um, others were kind of more in scramble mode. How do we do damage control on this? Um, but yeah, in terms of the, you know, the, the dynamic there between what you mentioned between Ingram and the, the charity or the, I can't even, charity is probably not the right word. The causes that he gave to the, the immigration beneficiary, I, I can't talk. You know what I mean? The thing that Pablo just mentioned um, versus donating to Blackburn, right? And like the financial contributions there, it's like 2 million versus 10,000, I think, right? So it's a, a huge difference. And it's so like, yeah. how do you judge that? And we didn't express this in the piece, but my personal opinion is like, okay, that 2 million, I'm sure does a lot. And I'm not trying to minimize that. Um, but the 10,000 does a lot too, right? Because it's sort of, you're, you're putting your seal of approval on a candidate's beliefs and actions. Uh, even if you don't necessarily personally agree with them, you're, you're implicitly giving that stamp of approval. Um, and those candidates go to Congress and they can have a real impact on the lives of the people who you might be trying to, you might be trying to help out with that 2 million. So, so for me, it's like, how do you weigh those things? Well, I think that $5,000 goes I weigh that kind of pretty heavy compared to the two million. Um, you know, that's just me personally, and we didn't put that in the piece, but um, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. It's kind of like you're just kind of upholding those systems of power, right? Yeah, and I, I would add to that. Um, you know, it, it varies. Like if we talk about Kansas City, um, you know, they supported candidates that like they're, you know, the Republican candidates they supported are like by and large a little bit more moderate or. Um, were just sort of newcomers, so their their stances were a little bit less known. Um, you know, it, it it just gets hard to ignore a candidate like McCall or a senator like you know um, Blackburn or you know McCall who just comprehensively like every single you know value that they have, whether it's about immigration reform, um, you know, a woman's right to choose, uh, you know. Uh, racial injustice. It's like every single thing is like completely sort of, you know, bass backwards. So it's, it's just one of those things where, where it is, um, you know, you sort of like have an easier time stomaching donations that go to, uh, I don't know, Susan Collins or something like that. than some of these other candidates that are just like genuinely ignorant. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, I, I think I'm glad you all are, are, are bringing this up because th- this is sort of the thing that I found myself... I don't know, confused by or trying to like think more deeply about in reading this article is like, yeah, if you're giving $2 million to this like progressive organization that's helping with this like social issue, but then also $10,000 to a conservative politician who I personally don't agree with, like, wh- what is that line? Like, does that $10,000 really matter? And I think you all are making very uh, compelling arguments that they do, because to some extent, I could almost see if you are a very if you're a conservative Catholic and you are a single issue voter along that line, to me, I don't agree, but I think that is almost more defensible if you are sort of donating to a cause that you genuinely believe in versus, yeah, it's just kind of how it is. Like we've got to give this 10 grand. So we kind of like when they check their, their donation book, that's the one that makes me feel like more cynical than anything else. Yeah. I mean, Sam wrote this, I I thought kind of brilliantly, 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 excuse me. And the, you said that brilliantly. Brilliant (laughs) now, Frederick Brilliant. He wrote this brilliantly. Um, And the piece, uh, you know, I I think that like, if you look, let's say I give the owner the benefit of the doubt then. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe he's not aware um, of the views this candidate supports, or maybe, it's just a box that he's checking off. Well, I mean, that's an entirely different kind of ignorance. That's almost like – it's like almost more reprehensible than you're just sort of like uh, firing off this like, you know, five, six-figure donation to somebody that you're not even familiar with. You know, it's just like – I mean, look, man, there's people – you know, I think I gave a total of like 40 bucks this election cycle. But, um, you know, I damn well knew who I was giving it to. Uh, I think most Americans do, you know, so – so I don't know. It's like, and also what you just said to the, you know, like, well, it's $2 million or it's $10,000. To me, that's like e- even more of a reason not to give it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, at that point, you really have to be committed. And I'm sure you have to be fully aware that it's public record and you're going to get, uh, you know, dragged for it rightly in a lot of cases. Um, so it's like, how hard would it be to not donate or just to give to, I don't know, like have your corporation make the donation or something. It just, That's the other thing, right? Yeah. It's like, because we can't track those. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's a way, but we didn't track those in the piece, right? And like, so like, like it'd be pretty harder, easy to get around your, it. Your views, bros. <laughs> yeah. Were there, uh, like with it being a, pu- a matter of public record when it comes to the individual donations, were there people who were more willing or organizations who were more willing to sort of explain things or talk about why they gave or why this felt like an organization that deserved that uh, financial investment or donation, I should say? 
Not on my end. Pablo, did you get any of that? No, I mean, there's definitely not one MLS team that uh, the only, even the ones that spoke on background, background for the piece did so, I think, out of a need to just offer some counterpoint um, to defend. You know, I don't think anybody was like... And for the most part, you know, most of our conversations are with PR people. Sometimes yeah. it escalates, right? Yeah. But, you know, the PR person doesn't, just like you and I, it's not like the owner's talking to them about their political donations. Like, they don't have any clue as to the intent either. Um, their clue is probably the wrong word, but I mean, any yeah, official I knowing... I don't think owners, by and large, I mean, we have conversations, like Sam said, with a couple owners just on background. Um, But, you know, I don't think any of those guys are, even the ones who have uh, generally progressive views that line up with their club, are particularly eager to to go out there and criticize the other owners because, you know, they're all part of the same corporation. Um, They all have the same business interests. Uh, you know, if one team does well, I mean, MLS is definitely a rising tide raises all boats thing. So, you know, I just don't think there's any incentive for any of these guys to speak on the record, honestly. Uh, yeah. And, and I think maybe that, that again is my, like me being naive and asking, did anybody want to, I, I could just, I guess, again, sort of understand things more if, if a person said like, yeah, I gave to this candidate, but I didn't really believe like, no, they were going to do this. Or I didn't really fully understand their belief. And then I decided to donate to this candidate instead. Like to me, that is that is human. That is like I, I thought this would, was a good idea. I learned more about it. I realized it wasn't. I changed it. Like that. To, like the transparency of that communication. I think I could get my head around a little bit more than just like, yeah, it is what it is. The sort of passing of the buck is a thing that tends to to make me feel a little bit flustered. It seems like you all were able to keep your cool a little bit more with some of these conversations than I would have been. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I, I, I can honestly say this. Like, no, you know, Sam and I are both. Uh, we say in the piece, you know, both voting for Biden, both generally progressive people, I think, uh, with progressive political views. But, you know, I, I don't think my political leanings really tainted any of this piece at all. So, I mean, if I, you know, if I'm speaking to somebody from a club and I mean, it just doesn't, you know, it's not a thing where I want to be like, hey, man, you guys are, you guys are wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, never crossed my mind. You know? <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. And now yeah. you're gonna hear about them. Me and Phil yeah, no, I... actually had an hour-long <laughs> screaming match on the phone. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. Screaming match with LA's PR person just to be saying, "Put Phil on the phone. Get him. Put him on the phone." No, and to some extent, I feel like you all went like like you bent over backwards to not editorialize, to not really throw in any sort of like really language one way or the other. It felt very much like they did this, but then they donated to this. They that's, said that, that's but nice they donated to, to this. <laughs> yeah. That was very important to me. I had to, Pablo probably wanted to punch me in the face a few times about this, but um, oh it was very important to me to keep it, you know, yeah. as airtight as possible. And like, mm-hmm. cause I think there's more power in a story. If you are just laying out the facts and um, to use a line that, you know, an MLS exec often kind of quotes to me, um, you know, just hoist people by their own petards, um, <laughs> um, which for those who don't know, it's just like, let the facts, like, let yeah. them hang by their own rope, you know, like, just you that don't speak 17th century French, <laughs> like, like this MLS gentleman. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, I think just kind of let, let their actions speak for themselves. 
um, and let people make their own judgments. That's what I wanted to do uh, with this piece. And, you know, the other part of it is, and this is kind of the dirty little secret of journalism, right? It's like, there are access issues too. And like, I wanted to be fair um, because I didn't want, you know, MLS is mad enough at us from time to time for stories that we write. So, you know, we do have to kind of be a little concerned, um, just a little. I'm not overly concerned about this, about maintaining some of it. And I wasn't too worried about that. But with a piece as charged as this one, um, I think it's something that I was at least conscious of. And I tried to get rid of that as much as I could, but maybe I failed a little bit. Yeah, I don't know a, what you thought, Pablo. Here's a tip for all you young journalists out there, uh, delivered by somebody with no formal training in journalism. Delivered <laughs> um, by a mechanic who moonlights as a writer and a reporter. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I've, I've found uh, you know, it particularly important. I just think there's only so mad anybody in this business is ever going to be at you if you make sure they're not blindsided. Yeah, so, 100%. 100%. That in a story like this becomes paramount. I mean, I yeah. think we even maybe waited, you know, a day or two to pub this to give teams more time to comment or, you know, to answer their questions or something. And I Sam think we, also, we also had to finish writing it too. Yeah, so, but. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to edit it out all my highly opinionated language. About, <laughs> well, you know, it is interesting in a story like this, you know, because there are words that like, I would agree with that Pablo wrote. So like problematic would be an example, right? Um, or like even like should, right? And it's just like these words are totally in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, I don't think like racist or sexist is in the eye of the beholder. That's a little bit more object, yeah. you know, but like, you know, even something is problematic. Well, like a view that might be abhorrent, right? Well, that might not be a problem for someone who is abhorrent. These are the hard, the tough decisions that get made. In yeah, the- like I don't know. This is all. This is all like very big J journalism. But, I mean, um, but like, and, and like, I don't know. Like the access part of it. Like I try not to be beholden to that. Like I really do. Um, it is something that, if I'm being honest, it enters my mind though. Um, of course, yeah. So there's a way to do both though. And I mean, at the end of the day, Sam, the petard is right there. You know, you can just let them else buy it. So, what what was a petard? By the way, we did look this up. It was like it's like like uh, an old school grenade, right? Yeah, it was like the fuse or something on a bomb. So it it essentially means like backfire, literally, like you blow blow something up. up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The way the way you all both laughed at that so hard, I feel like one of you roasted the other, and I'm going to guess it was Pablo making fun of Sam for using that at another point in time. No, 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 no. It was more. It was more. Yeah. It was more just like I got a I got a phone call from Sam one day with him laughing hysterically and saying, "You have to hear what X person just said. Ah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one of the funniest things in the world." <laughs> and then and then it involved both of us literally googling it at the same time on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's my how dad, these stories get reported that's how co-bylines work it's one person <laughs> calling the other and laughing you won't believe this crap that somebody just told me yeah i think i've told this on the show before but like my dad is a fan of utilizing latin for certain things like he he doesn't apologize he says mea culpa uh and he wow. definitely used to say hoisted 
by your own or my own petard and at the same time what? watched a lot of star trek and so for the longest time i always thought it was hoisted by my own picard and i was like i guess he <laughs> he fooled people i don't really get that one i was always very confused my dad used a lot of lead my father personally used a lot of lead <laughs> <laughs> Cicero Rockwell. What would, uh, uh, what would a hoisting by your own Picard? Well, he wasn't that ridiculous. It's just Frederick Gore Rockwell III. That's all. Wow. Like a, <laughs> yeah. He's just noted American industrialist Frederick Gore Rockwell. <laughs> uh, Taylor, what would a hoisting by your own Picard be? What would that be? I, I feel like he's he's a, a very clever captain, and I feel like it would have been him cloning himself and using that cloned to somehow to like get yeah, him a boost. The enemy so he can reach something on yeah, a high exactly. scale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Thanks, fellas. You get me. Make it, um, make it the, so. <laughs> uh, I wanted to take it after this. I wanted to take it to a serious thing there, which was like when you talk about the access. There was also, I know you all spoke to a couple of different players. Again, none of them really wanting to go on record as trashing their owners. And for a minute, I, I was sort of like, 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 oh, that's a shame. Like, I wish they had the freedom to be able to talk about these things. And then it occurred to me that in, in most jobs, you can't just sort of publicly bash your boss, even if you don't like them. Like, you can't go and be like, oh, this guy, yeah, he donated this person. I hate him. It's like, well, that's not going to go well. So, like, is there – this is a very difficult question, I think. But, like, is there a line that you think can be walked there of saying – I mean, is it just I would like to see more from the club? I'm disheartened by what's been done without getting into specifics? Because I think that's a line that athletes have to walk, and I think – it can be really challenging to parse what they're saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, I almost just said his name. The the anonymous <laughs> player <laughs> in our piece, wow. uh, they 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 you know th that comment was pretty spot on. Um, you know, he just said that he you know plays for a big club with a big following, and they haven't done enough, and he wants to see more voting rights initiatives, stuff like that. But you know. I think Sam and I both kind of assumed that more players would speak on the record about this because players are empowered to do that these days. But then, um, you know, I do think about the fact that uh, a lot of these issues we're dealing with, racial injustice, um, LGBTQ plus rights, um, they affect marginalized communities. And if you're a black player at MLS, black coach, um, if you're, a, you know, a, a gay player in MLS, um, you know, your opportunities are already limited. I think, honestly, it, it would take, you know, it, it would take like a very, um, almost inhumanly strong, uh, person to sort of weather that storm. Um, uh, okay. you know, and then also, and Sam can talk about this a little bit. I mean, even the player rights groups in MLS, I think we're, we're sort of in process working with the league. Um, right, Sam? Yeah, exactly. So like, Black players for change, right? Like I, I went to them and I was like, "Hey, do you guys want to comment on this? Do you want to do an interview?" They ended up giving us a, a statement, um, but you know, in the statement, they said that they were talking to MLS about some initiatives. And I think the day before the story came out, they actually publicized what those initiatives are. Um, and in and at was a million dollar, I guess, donation from MLS owners to BPC for kind of to help seed and grow this organization. Uh, in the coming years. So part of it is, uh, is like, all right, well, like we could come out and blast off on these people. Um, and I'm not saying that BPC was thinking this, but like, it's, 
as far as logical leaps go, it's not that big of a one to make. It's like you can come out and blast off on these people or you can say, well, we're actually talking to them right now and maybe we can move them along a little bit and they're going to believe what they're going to believe. But like maybe we can draw some blood from this stone. Um, and so I totally get why people were not all that talkative. Um, it makes sense, right? Um, they're trying to make the best, they're trying to play the the cards that they've been dealt the best they can. Um, and I think for this particular hand, um, you know, the best move was to stay relatively quiet and, you know, try to make some change, uh, with the actual owners behind the scenes. And then from a structural, I have two questions for y'all before I stop taking up so much of your time. Uh, from a structural standpoint, when does the decision get made to turn off the comment section? <laughs> um, that wasn't our decision. Um, yeah. I don't think either of us disagreed with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was just the case of our editor being like, and I think he ran it up the chain too. Let's um, save this for Reddit, basically. But just basically, like this will be a, an unholy, unproductive mess. Yeah. Like, there's not going to be much we gain out of having the comments open here, so we're just not going to have it. Is the comment section also turned off for the Chivas article? No, <laughs> no. All right. Well, then I look forward to that. I have not yet uh, had a chance to read that. I, it is on my list of like like happy things to do when I, when I need a break and need something <laughs> well, to take my mind off of things. Set aside three hours for it. It's like it's like a book. <laughs> my God. Well, that's I, like I wanted to uh, ask that as well. Like, how did you all decide to write that one? And sort of what was the motivating oh thing that led to that? Pablo, do you even so remember boy, how boy. we decided? Like, I don't. I like it was like eight months ago that we decided to write this story. Dude, Taylor, when I tell you that, that that joke in particular became a running joke on every conference call, um, because I, you know, I, it was like, I swear to God, it was a year and a half ago, Sam. I mean, it was like, you started with this? Yes. It was right when we first, uh, when, you know, I, it was right after I came on full time. And I, I was just like, oh, we have to do the Chivas piece. It's a story I've always wanted to do. And it just became this like, it never happened, and then Sam and I, Sam and I, did like literally twenty-two interviews for it, and then just didn't write it for months. And then, like, <laughs> then finally, finally, I just went on Wikipedia, and I was like, "Look, the team folded on October twenty-sixth. This was like in you know August or July or something." And we were like, "Well, we had like three, you know, two three months here. We can we get it done before that." And we and saved it for the last like four days. We waited for the last four days. <laughs> And then it became a thing where Alex was up until our editor, Alex. (laughs) Yeah, poor guy. We owe Alex some drinks. Um, Yeah, so this, like, literally, we had written a piece right at the start of the season um, that was like 25 crazy stories for MLS's 25th season. Um, And right before that got published, the pandemic started. And so we were all kind of looking for weird, off the wall ideas to sort of, you know, fill the time in the pandemic. Um, and Pablo, I think looped me in on, on the Chivas thing. Cause we had just finished this other one. Um, and then the bubble started and talks about the bubble started and our lives sort of got taken over and we pushed this one down the road until right now when we had this other big story come out literally a week before. So the last two weeks, um, you know, Pablo probably wanted to kill me a few times. Um, Alex think- definitely wanted to kill us both. A lot. Maybe like a break. Yeah, like yeah. Long. We need a break from each other. Um, but you know, uh, it is funny how it worked out, and I think it turned out nicely. I'm glad it all came together. 
Yeah. I'm I'm happy to hear that that other people have that same process. Like Daryl and I definitely got halfway through our like historical tournament of pitting different teams from club history against each other and I think that is as far as we made it. <laughs> and like like I do appreciate that other people have those same things that are like, yeah, we're going to do this for sure. And then 3 weeks in you're like, ah. Let's move on to the next thing. I remember um, I remember when Pablo was talking about the politics piece and I was like hesitating whether or not I was going to join in or not. It's a, it was like uh-huh. a three-day thing that was pretty yeah. stupid in hindsight. But one of my main hang-ups, I was like, Pablo, we have to finish Chivas. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to like hold the politics thing hostage, essentially. He's <laughs> just like, I'm not touching it until we ride Chivas, Pablo. <laughs> I, really, I really appreciate that there's a weird... Like, John Mulaney talks about... Um, like how so many of the weird sketches that happen when he hosts SNL are the sketches that he pitched every single week when he was a writer at SNL and Lauren Michaels throughout. But when you're the host, you have so like more authority to get what you want uh, on, on air, which is where I think like the lobster in a diner sketch came from. And I like that Pablo has that same approach. It seems of like pitching the same stuff, talking about the same things for years and having them not be approved. And then when they are, they turn into these magnum opuses. Oh, so oh, thank you for that. Clear, to be clear, they always get approved. I just never do. Okay. I just never do them. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told, I, I told somebody, Alex or Brooks or something, oh, if you want like the next like Chivas running joke, just look at the list of the other like 150 pitches that I haven't written. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm lazy. All right. It's fine. I'm I, used to this I took the very opposite approach. Right now, I have zero story ideas and zero things in the works. So, like, this is just like I'm just like luxuriating in the afterglow of of Chivas USA right now. Sam, which- Sam uh, broke every single MLS story for three months. He was like a salmon <laughs> swimming upstream, and now he's like emaciated at the end of his journey. Just needs to- <laughs> Although I think salmon die every year, don't they? After that, I don't know. It was a dark analogy, probably. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stay with, stay with us. <laughs> Sam the salmon. Um, I have no comment. Salmon stay I'm too tired to have a comment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate both of you all taking the time to talk about uh, your work with The Athletic and, and this wonderful piece. I would encourage people to go read it uh, and subscribe to The Athletic if they don't already uh, because you get – Breaking news, as Pablo said, Sam Sam breaks a lot of it, uh, as do many of the other people working there. But then you also get these types of stories, the Chivas story, which again, I saw it uh, like when you all published it, and was just like like rubbing my hands together. I'm like, all right, that's going to be good for I guess three hours of my day is what I should prepare for. <laughs> but no, it's th- that type of stuff is a sort of like energizing force for me. Of like, ooh, like like a creative approach, like a, just a different thing that you wouldn't expect to see come out. And like we have the affiliation with the athletic, obviously, but like that's why I like the athletic so much is because it does sort of break the news, but also gives you all the opportunity to write these types of stories and these types of pieces. So I guess thank you to the athletic, but then also you guys too. You guys are fine. Yeah, thank you, I, Taylor. You're fine. Yeah, too. Can I just say, Taylor? I don't know. I, I think I speak for both the both of us. It's good to hear your voice right now, and no. and it's always yeah. good to, to be on the show. Um, and I've loved the show for a long time. Uh, both of you guys deserve you know a lot of credit for for keeping this thing going and i'm always happy to come here but it's just good to hear your voice right now yeah Thanks, agreed I, I i appreciate that and now i'm cheering up so <laughs> that seems like a good note to end on instead of hoisted by my own picard but what about uh, my, but- what about my voice is it good to hear my voice why are you just glazing over that i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> pablo only said that so you would return the compliment exactly <laughs> 
Pablo Mar has been here. Pablo, thank you so much. It is it is wonderful to hear your voice, Pablo. I look forward to a time when when we can uh when we can actually like hang out in, in groups and around each other again. Because uh, last yeah, summer well. I enjoyed when you you came down here. <laughs> Uh, Snaves was here. Jason Davis came down for the Ford Madison Kickers game. I would like to do more of those things. Yeah, man. Human human contact is a fun thing. It turns out. <laughs> Who could have known? Yeah, that was I, what I you're saying, it. Pablo. It's nice to hear your voice too. Next, uh, but both next, of you. Next uh, time we all get together, can we all just hoist hoist ourselves by by our own cards? Oh my god. <laughs> oh, what a what a perfect end to this! I shouldn't have seen it ending any I think other you way. Know what you're but, titling this episode, by the way? Yeah. I mean, see, that does go against the Daryl idea of you have to title the episode a thing that informs people about what they're going to be hearing, but they will be hearing about just like, just like parenthetical at the end of the title. Then, also, right. I would argue that it's like this. Our, our, this uh, this episode has been primarily hoist by your own petard talk at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Petard, petard talk is just what I'll title the this petard one. pod alright I'm about to hang up on both of you thank you both for, for, for making the time to be on this show Sam thank you very much thank you Taylor and Pablo great to hear your voice wonderful to hear your voice <laughs> so the good. most I, I'm being sarcastic Such I shouldn't voice. be it really, it really is, in as much as you all have said that, it's very nice to be able to talk to people who I know have a connection to the show, had a connection to Daryl, um, with whom I enjoy having a connection. And I, I don't know, I just appreciate both of you so much for what you all do, but who you all are and who you all have been in terms of friends to both myself and Daryl. And there's not even a joke here. I tend to make jokes when I get uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, I will not do that. I will just say that both of you, uh, I really admire what you both do. And I know Daryl very, very much admired both of you for your work ethic and what you all did, but the creativity you brought to it, the the craft you all brought, and just the diligence and sincerity to your work. So that is what I will say to both of you. And before I get even more emotional, I will just say thanks again to you both for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, uh, Taylor. Yeah, thank you. I just want to make it clear that I don't admire Sam. And... <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 